Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Subscribe to the show, rate and review the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. If you do subscribe to the show, we will read your review on the air. And the next one to do so, we'll get a copy of I Spit on Your Grave, the 4K Blu-ray that we did a bonus podcast on over at patreon.com slash criticspod, the best way to help support the podcast. Uh, you can also support the podcast by wearing our merch, which you can get at IHateCritics.net and clicking on the T Public link up in the right-hand corner. I think that's everything. All right. <laughs> uh, let's... It's the first real weekend of the year. Uh, I know we kind of did it last week, so uh, let's have some fun and uh, share my screen, get everything up here. Have some fun. Try not to think about all the dead celebrities. (laughs) Yeah, that's the weird one. It's like Betty White's gone. Pete, Peter, uh, oh my God. Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. uh, Sidney Poitier. And Bob Saget's the one that makes me the saddest, <laughs> you know. And it's only because he's probably yeah. younger uh, and right. grew up with Full House. But it was just kind of like Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's it's bizarre, right? Legends gone though, for sure. With uh, yeah, well, uh, the, the 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 team behind Dirty Work is entirely good. Shit. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I don't know, it's, we are going to, with this episode, uh, celebrate Peter Bogdan. oh my god, why can't I say it, I can write it down, <laughs> Bogdanovich, is that right? Yeah, you know, it's close enough. Yeah, I know in my head it doesn't sound right, uh, but we're going to do Paper Moon as the classic to kind of remember yeah. him. Uh, anyway, let's jump right to our movies. And I did post that on our Facebook. I didn't post that on our Facebook. If anybody wants to share their opinions there, there's a post up on the, the everyone, the critic Facebook page. Excellent. Uh, let's go ahead and start with the new movies this week. And we'll start with C for me. C for me stars Skylar Davenport as a uh, woman who does house sitting for a living. Uh, she didn't before, but uh, she started doing this after she lost her sight. Uh, she, one of these people who lost their sight uh, as an adult after she had become a well-known skiing champion. Uh, and since then, she's just kind of drifted through life, uh, picking up these odd jobs. And while she does that, she also occasionally will steal something from her rich clients to uh, sell and pick up a couple extra bucks. And just, you know, because it's a little bit of extra thrill that in her life that she's missing now that she doesn't have her life as a skier. Uh, her the story picks up with her in this uh, rather large upper uh, New Upper New York State home by herself uh, on a wintry night. Uh, there's uh, uh, she has a fight with her best friend who abandons her, so she downloads this app called See for Me, which is uh, an app where they'll pair you with somebody who can help you you know, navigate wherever you are. Uh, via a sort of a FaceTime app. Uh, she ends up in a situation, of course, where uh, this rich house gets broken into by by people who want to steal something out of it. And she's got to hide herself around and try not to get killed. Um, 
there are some twists and turns in that story, some decisions she makes that are, are surprising. But uh, for the most part, this is a pretty mundane thriller. Um, is, uh, other than the fact that the lead actress, Skylar Davenport, is actually, is actually blind, uh, which uh, at the very least is, you know, some strong representation and, uh, and, you know, gives some authenticity to the way the story plays out. That's certainly exciting, but this director uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, he's known in Canada for being a a really kind of an out there thinker, a kind of, you know, an artist who takes a lot of chances and he's made a very mundane movie uh, out of this. (laughs) Other than the fact that he has an actual, you know, actually blind lead, uh, this is a very mundane sort of straightforward thriller. And when I looked up, when I was looking into the reputation of the director, I kind of expected a little bit something more. And that left me pretty cold to this, considering that I've seen so many thrillers similar to this, if not as authentic. Uh, I've seen, we've, I think we've all seen a lot of movies that are like this, a, a large house in the middle of nowhere, people break in and the, the you know, per, one person's got to hide from them and, uh, yeah, there's some boldness in terms, I guess, of how how gory some of the deaths are in the movie. But beyond that, it's it really doesn't stand out very much for me. Have you seen anything this director has done before? I believe this is his first feature. He's oh, an artist by trade. Gotcha. Eh, you live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> I I did not get to this one, but I I did actually see a handful of movies this week, so I can participate more. But I don't even really have any questions. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, the 355. The 355 stars Jessica Chastain as Mace, a CIA agent who uh, is uh, on the case when uh, a one of those world-ending MacGuffins goes missing and the terrorists have it. She gets uh, she gets together with uh, other agents from England, Lupita Nyong'o in Germany, Diane Kruger and uh uh, Columbia, Penelope Cruz, and even China, uh, uh, big, big fan. And uh, together they've got to recover the world ending MacGuffin that can you know, do anything. Uh, again, this is just another mundane action movie where all the action is stuff we've seen before with the, you know, the, sim- the same kind of motivations we've seen before. I guess it's something that that the actresses are, you know, a wide range of backgrounds and they're all women in the lead. That's something. But I mean, if you want an action movie like that, Gunpowder Milkshake came out last year and was a lot better than this. <laughs> a lot more fun, a lot more uh, over the top violent. Kate even is, an, is another good example of a badass female killer who, you know, uh, again, co- much more colorful and alive than this movie, which. Directed by Simon Kinberg is just kind of going through the motions. Uh, Kinberg, you know, got to start writing a lot of big screenplays and has now directed this and a bad X Men movie, and he's just not a particularly visually interesting director. And it's it's unfortunate because he's got you know an amazing cast here, but uh, they're they're all just kind of trapped in this in this very again this mundane action movie that we with a lot of set pieces we've seen before. The good thing is all these actresses, specifically Jessica Chastain and Lupita Nyong'o, at least lately, tend to make good decisions more or less. And it's okay to get a paycheck here every now and again. So I, I think they are going to be fine. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, both her, but Penelope Cruz and Jessica Chastain could be Oscar nominees by the by next month. So it's really it's kind of interesting to see see them working together here. 
But didn't that happen one year with like Jamie Foxx and somebody else? And I think Fo- Jamie Foxx won, and then they ended up being like one of the worst movies ever came out. <laughs> Some space movie after Ray. I can't yeah. remember the name of it. I oh, want to say Jessica Biel was in it or something like that. Oh, God. It sounds familiar, yeah. Uh, oh, well. Was that Wing Commander? <laughs> I don't even know. Is Jamie Foxx in Wing Commander? I don't even know if it was Jessica Biel that was in it. I really can't remember what it was. I just remember... They were doing ads for it during the Oscars, and then it ended up being terrible. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like there was two Oscar winners I, in it. At the very least, this isn't like Norbit levels of embarrassing. Like, it's this is, this is you know, very, it's much more, more mundane yeah. and forgettable. Yeah. Like, a, a, you know, the, a lot of cliches. Like, you know, there's there's this uh, crowded marketplace in a, in a for foreign country and everybody's doing did he hand off the MacGuffin thing to that guy to follow you follow that guy I'll follow that guy and then we'll have a fight scene <sighs> has there been a movie that's called it the MacGuffin yet <laughs> I don't think so uh, um, yeah I had a lot of fun with that with that term in my review <laughs> the ultimate world ending MacGuffin thing no, my brother always uses that phrase when he talks about movies. The MacGuffin yeah. is here. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to The Tender Bar. The Tender Bar stars uh, Ben Affleck and Ty Sheridan, the story of a young boy who uh, moves to Long Island with his mom. Excuse me, Juan Guyland. That's how you have to say it. Juan Guyland. Uh <laughs> They moved to uh, Long Island to live with their grandfather, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, and he ends up, of course, uh, his uncle Charlie also lives there. It's an, a house is just kind of overflowing with people. And uh, he falls in with his uncle Charlie a little bit, who becomes kind of a father figure to him because his own father is absent. He's a in the most authentic piece of this movie. He's a radio DJ who's constantly moving from state to state to avoid the police. I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> No, a couple of them. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I once did a remote broadcast where I was the engineer back at the station. And the the station was in Iowa, but he was in Illinois for the remote. And he's like, you know, I'm not supposed to be in this state. (laughs) Got a couple warrants out for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that guy, totally authentic. But uh, the rest of the movie is incredibly broad, in my opinion, and especially and unfortunately, it's uh, Ben Affleck, whose performance is incredibly broad to the point of uh, cringe inducing at times. Like he's just the character is just so much uh, um, just this over the top thing that actors like to do a lot of actorly business, a lot of actorly monologuing and and posing and and again that that uh, new new york long island accent that uh, occasionally slips over into his boston accent a little bit it's like you can just sense that you know actors love working with george clooney because he's an actor and he knows that actors like to do actor stuff and he lets actors do actor stuff and that can be good, like uh, in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, letting Sam Rockwell just kind of go nuts was kind of what that movie needed in terms of its energy. But then you have something like Suburbicon, where Matt Damon's doing this super intense performance in what is otherwise a seemingly comic movie, and it doesn't make any sense. And here, it, Affleck's character makes sense, but it's just, it's not, 
it's just so over the top. It's so broad. And he's so much more, he's so much more compelling and charismatic than Ty Sheridan. Ty Sheridan is the lead in this movie. And I can't tell you anything his character did in this movie because Affleck is like over in the corner, just waving his arms for your attention. Like he's not stealing scenes. He's picked them up and taken them with you and with him. And, and the movie just suffers for that. He's so much bigger and broader than Sheridan, who's delivering this very straightforward performance. Performance. On top of which, he's he's just he's stuck with this uh, uh, this uh, voiceover throughout the entire movie. He's got to try and explain and fill in all the cracks of the story, and that's incredibly boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While Affleck gets to do all the fun stuff. <laughs> and if you look at the poster, if you're watching this on YouTube, Ben Affleck's name is first. Uh, the character, <laughs> yeah. of, of, the, of the lead character. It's really played by three people. <laughs> you know, you got the voiceover and uh, what's his name from Office Space, uh, Ron Livingston. <laughs> uh, Ty Sheridan plays him as a you know a college kid, and then yeah. some what Daniel Ranieri or something like that is that his name uh-huh. for, as the kid who yeah. a, a large chunk of the movie is the kid. Uh, so it, it's definitely uh, I, it's easy to steal this movie <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Ben Affleck's getting nominated for awards, is he not, for this? Some people so. really like the performance, but like I, like I always say, though, a lot of people confuse uh, the most acting for the best acting. He's definitely doing the most acting. This is a lot of acting. It's very in-your-face acting. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people who, like I said, they mistake that for the best acting, and it's not. Uh, I would refer, as I always do, to Bradley lately, uh, since I saw it, I'll refer to Nightmare Alley again, where Bradley Cooper is not doing the most acting. He's doing the absolute best acting of the planet. <laughs> He's just absolutely killing that role and not doing anything to to take you out of the magic of it. Whereas here, you kind of feel like you're watching the Ben Affleck show. Like uh, it's a borderline sitcomic, uh, the, the levels to which he's taking this character. I I didn't mind the performance. I actually thought it was pretty good. Uh, at the same time, I knew your opinion of it, so maybe I was prepared for it, and it just seemed to be more natural. I mean, I knew he was definitely – he had an accent. When it was an accent, you're doing a little bit of – you're definitely acting, acting. Uh, but it seemed to flow better for me. And yeah. uh, at the same time, the rest of your criticism I agree with is that it is the Ben Affleck show. Even if you think he's good, the movie you want, you want to watch that character more than you want to watch the main character. Yeah. Uh, the main character is rendered completely boring just by comparison. Yeah. And the story, the whole arc is just like, Oh, you want to be a writer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it, you know, I mean, he, there is things he overcomes, but it's not, I don't know. It's just not that great. It's kind of boring, and it took me two times to get through it. Yeah. Uh, it's just not – it's at best, I'd say, okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with it, per se. It's just kind of there. <laughs> and George Clooney's done that a couple times for me, you know. With, yeah. I mean, that Men Who Stare at Goats should have been amazing. I'm just kind of like – Oh, yeah. With that premise, that should have been, been incredible. And I couldn't yeah, tell he- you anything about it. <laughs> Botched it completely. <laughs> yeah. And this movie, 
this movie here kind of it, you know when you when you want a if you want a great movie about a writer, Wonder Boys is the go-to. That's the, the go-to movie about a writer. That's an actual movie about a guy who's writing something, you know. And that's like that's my top tier. And if you're going to do something, you you better find a way to be near, half as good as that. And this is half as good as that. Well, and there's like all these people live at home with the grandfather Christopher Lloyd. So you yeah. got these fairly decent actors all around a table, and all you're watching is Ben Affleck talk to the kid. You could have had a great, uh, what is the word, uh, when you have the whole cast, uh, the whole scene with everybody in the cast, uh, and you just kind of wasted it a couple different times on just, you know, Ben Affleck handed the guy tw- the kid 20 bucks, and all these actors are great actors, and it would be nice to see an ensemble, like a more ensemble scene. And they uh-huh. definitely let that go a couple times. And I just, I, in the end, it was just kind of like, I, I don't get the, I mean, I get the point. I just don't care about the point. And, you know, yeah. I'm happy for you that you were successful, but I just, I didn't, I didn't need to watch your movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> I think, I think part of it comes down to just, uh, George Clooney is incredibly, you know, charitable. To actors and I think he lets actors do what they want. I think he, he does, he's letting Lily Rabe do what she wants, but she doesn't get as much screen time. Right. She's doing as big and broad as, as Affleck is. Just it, she's mostly off screen doing it. Uh, when she's on screen, she's over the top. You know, just New York and uh, the same as Affleck, but she doesn't have nearly as much screen time. Uh, it just the the Ty Sheridan character can't the kid can't keep up with what Affleck's doing. He's just. He's just so different. He stands out so much uh, out of this that it that uh, somebody needed to step in and and you know either dial back that character a little bit or or, or reroute you know, the him. story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you want to watch it, it's on Amazon for free. Uh, American Siege. Why in the hell did you watch this? Because I can't, I can't take my tear my eyes away from the train wreck that is Bruce Willis. I am fascinated by this man and his late period career. Uh, I had a lengthy conversation about this on on uh, online about uh, Bruce Willis and his sleepwalk period, and people were like, "Oh, what did they did did they just blackball him to these low rent movies?" And like, no, he chose this. Like, he gets paid two, three, four million dollars. The movie is going to make ten million dollars in just overseas sales alone, so it's automatically going to make money. So this is this is just basically a scheme. Like he should be getting arrested for this. Well, yeah. On top he of that, one day on this movie, one day, and the entire time you can see him either getting his getting his getting his uh, lines in an IFB in his ear, or looking off to the side where you can play a little drinking game where Bruce Willis is reading cue cards of his lines. Oh, so he's not even really the star of the movie. He's no, he is the star of the movie. Please. But it's an ensemble piece because he's only there for a day, and you can only get so many scenes in it in a day. So right. you end up. <laughs> well, and the best part for him is he walks in and goes, "Yeah, we're not doing that. That's just <laughs> we're, you're going to cut it anyway, so let's not even shoot it." And you know, I know Kevin Smith made a lot of that public, and then other right. people have come forward since then and explained how he acts on set. But yeah, he just he he tells you what he he's basically in charge when he's there. Yeah. So, well, and the thing is that now he's working with a group of people now who, 
basically they they're his team. They you know they do what he tells you. He they they do what he says. Like he they, he's worked with this director a couple a couple times now. He's got his guys in the cast. He's got his writers. Like this is his thing, and yet he'll only and yet even with it being his thing, he's on set for a day and gone. <laughs> How is that fun? I don't like. I mean, if you got four million dollars to do something for a day, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, but after <laughs> I've had so many millions of dollars, at some point, it's just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, unless he's in that much financial trouble, I can't imagine he is. Oh. He only has to work a day. He doesn't have to learn his lines. I'm I'm sure he he seems very happy. And I guess it's one thing if it was just this, but it's like we there's probably 20 movies for every movie we talk about that he does. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, he's doing this all the time, which is more of why I'm like at some point I just be like, yeah, I don't need to do that one. I don't. You know, there's he has no fill. He doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> this, I think this scheme, whatever it is, whatever thing he's got going on in Europe or uh, wherever it is that he's selling these movies to Slovakia, what, it's some sort of tax shelter of some sort. <laughs> There's some sort of awful evil scheme going on here. I don't know what it is, but we're gonna one of these years we're gonna find out. Somebody's gonna write a book about this and reveal exactly what the tax scheme is that keeps these movies getting made and him getting paid for a day's work. Yeah. Is there anything about the movie we need to talk about, or is it, you pretty much sum it it's, all up? It's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's unwatchable. Uh, yeah, it, it's pointless nonsense. He, yeah, he, that he got his friends' jobs on. That's pretty much it. I guess if you're getting your friends' money, that's, that's a little. <laughs> well, it's his friends, but it's his friend is like. Uh, Janet Gretzky and her son, like as if they don't already have a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, fair point. <laughs> but he did get Timothy V. Murphy, I guess, uh, 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 an above the line credit. So good for him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that name because the world is going crazy for Timothy V. Murphy. Everybody knows that guy. <laughs> I'm amazed Bruce Willis allowed for his name to be to the left. <laughs> I mean, Bruce Willis is still the first face. Timothy the thing of it is, Timothy V. Murphy isn't even the second lead in this movie. Oh, he's Jesus. the lead. Like, he's kind of the he's the villain. But, like, there's a there's a character played by Rob Goff who has more screen time than anybody else. And then you have Trevor Gretzky in there and Janet Gretzky. And it's like, <laughs> this guy's maybe the got the fifth most lines of the movie. Uh, it sounds <laughs> like they needed Ben Affleck to come in and... <laughs> draw some attention his way uh, all right i've had enough let's move on to the documentary american gadfly i did watch this one american gadfly is a documentary about a group of teenagers who were just kind of naive and brilliant enough to think what if we got somebody to run for president uh they they were just kind of didn't know how to do it and so they just went ahead and did it <laughs> And what they did was they found a guy named uh, Mike Gravel, who was a senator from Alaska, relatively famous in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, who ran for president in uh, 2008 and made a kind of a splash, so to speak, uh, with his very strange approach to campaigning. But uh, he was actually you know, this incredible progressive uh, liberal Democrat uh, admired by a number of different people because he's a very principled guy whose main thing is no war ever and uh they 
these kids being progressives themselves saw somebody that they could relate to and uh, they they get a hold of him, they pitch him their idea, and he goes for it. And what happens from there is this amazing campaign where these kids, a group of teenagers, nearly got a, a presidential candidate onto the main stage at one of the biggest debates of of the 2020 election cycle. Uh, it obviously didn't happen because money and politics and the Democratic Party, having chosen Joe Biden two years prior to that election, um, yeah, it didn't happen, but the fact that they did so well and they got so much attention and and their social media game was so good that they nearly upended the entire you know political process and for a time they had they had a campaign that was really something and this documentary does a great job of capturing the excitement and the the almost ludicrousness of a group of kids running a presidential campaign yeah that's it's it was interesting if nothing else uh I mean, part of me is like, thank God they didn't do more because Trump would still be president. <laughs> uh, but uh, only, I don't would know. Would have been fun to watch on social media. <laughs> yes, it would have been fun to watch on social media. Uh, but I mean, it was interesting for them to kind of uh, watch the naivete turn into you know realis- realism. And then yeah. them, as they got further and further along, kind of understanding how it works you know yeah and for better or worse i don't know what the right answer is but it's i don't know the whole thing was i have a hard time like i don't know it's politics are so frustrating anymore you can't go anywhere without seeing it uh and it's it's just not as interesting to watch as it would have been a couple of years ago or maybe even six, six, seven, eight years ago, <laughs> you know, probably to COVID and everything else that's happened and everything's political, but the, their story is interesting. Uh, and it's just cool how they did it and how easily they got access to certain things. Uh, was just very neat. I don't know how excited it makes me for the future. <laughs> Uh, but because it's not not them them themselves are they were good guys it's just more of the whole process is just kind of like this is only going to get worse (laughs) you know i don't know how it gets better and maybe i'm just in a uh maybe i just am too pessimistic but that's kind of the impression i got from this movie i mean they couldn't get them on stage and they technically did enough to get them there they did. Uh, so uh, that's kind of scary, but at the same time, I don't know. It, it's just what kinda... else? You know, you know what else is scary is that that uh, we didn't really get this story until now. Like at the time, obviously, I think a lot of people saw what what was happening with this. Like I kind of caught it in the in in you know the side side eye a little bit. Uh, like what's Mike Prevell stuff? Like there were a lot of people who did like kind of caught it on the side. But what you don't get is how pretty incredible Mike uh, Mike Gravel is and and was and uh, and you know, obviously he's passed on now but uh, he was a he was a serious he was a legit politician and an even more legit presidential candidate than anybody gave him credit for and at the same time so were people like you know Andrew Yang and and that I can't remember her name now the, the female she was running for president on the Democratic side she was completely dismissed as this 
crackpot weirdo yeah. who actually did get out of the but she seems like a really good person and a, and a really genuine person and you take the and that's what you get when you take the media filter off of it when you're not hearing this from msnbc and when you're not hearing this from the mainstream media suddenly you actually can see somebody and they seem actually relatively sane and thoughtful that was kind of you know that was kind of revealing uh in a way uh you know say what you will about andrew yang or that or that woman who Again, I wish I remembered her yeah, name now. I know. We're, because we're talking about her, I can't think of it. But I know. Yeah. Uh, but and it's, uh, she, was, she was pivotal in getting and nearly getting Mike Cravel on the, on, the, uh, on the stage that night. Uh, it, but it's incredible, uh, really, when you look at it from that perspective. And then you look at it from the cynical perspective of how you know, money in the Democratic Party sort of moved the, the goalposts to keep them away from it, to keep them out of it. Uh, that that really was just kind of that shittiness of modern politics sneaky in there. But these guys don't get cynical about it. They, that's what's really that's what I really was excited about is that these kids, as hard as it was, they 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 seemed very optimistic even in the end. That uh, look what we did here and look what we can possibly do in the future. And I I like that aspect of the documentary. I think. I think there's something to still be still be heard from these kids who are actually still to this day, I believe, running what they call the Gravel Institute, which is dedicated to uh, the the principles that they put forward in the campaign. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it, it's it's an interesting watch, and these kids are good kids. And you're right; it, it was cool to when these candidates are on TV, they're characters and not even people. I mean, even all politicians are characters Every, everything you see is well thought out uh is for the most part and if they it wasn't well thought out you see that as a gaffe and they make a big deal about it uh but this movie does pull those especially andrew yang and uh whatever her name was it's so embarrassing <laughs> yeah it's like a name we should all know and everybody's sitting there yeah. listening yelling it back at us uh <laughs> but that you get a more human version of them uh, even Bernie Sanders, he's not in it for very much, but you get a little bit of a, a human interaction with him and Microville backstage uh, later on in the movie, which was very cool. Uh, and that's what's needed in politics is more of that human element, you know. Right. I mean, when you talk about when you hear them, you know, when you see these people at the debates and you've got people from CNN or MSNBC or, or Fox News just going, what are you even doing here? Like you're just asking them bizarre questions and treating, you know, somebody says, well, I think, you know, universal health care is a good thing. And everybody scoffs at them. It's like, well, why aren't you asking how they'll do it? <laughs> like, why aren't you asking? They just immediately dismiss the idea of universal health care or, the, or these you know, big progressive ideas. They say they just dismiss them automatically. The mainstream media does. And and don't even give anybody the chance. They go immediately back to the centrist guy who says, that's not possible. And we're not going to waste our time with that. And then you elect Joe Biden, <laughs> which yeah. again, I, I, you know, we couldn't have the other guy. So yeah. Right. And that, I mean, it's the, that's the other part of me is it's like, how do you, what do you do? Do you, do you go for it? Do you <laughs> rage against the machine and go all the way? Or do you, do the best you can and not let the other guy win is even worse, which I don't know. At some point, I think there's going to be four parties here pretty quick. Cause I, mean, I want to get rid of parties. Parties just need to go to. away completely. I would just love to get rid of debates. All, all sorts of things need to be. Just get them gone. The parties are, are antiquated. They're out of date. They're meaningless. And all they do is just divide the country in half and to continue to not let anything get done. 
Right. If people look at it as this is who I am, and if you're called the other one, it's an insult. You know, it's not even – some people don't even realize what they are. They just vote a certain way without – I don't know. It's – the whole thing is frustrating, but – yeah. These movies used to be really fun for me, and they're just not as fun anymore. <laughs> so, uh, didn't make it not yeah. interesting. It just wasn't as fun as it would have been maybe eight years ago. Uh, maybe I'm just getting old and cranky, too. I don't know. King Car. King Car uh, is a Brazilian sci-fi movie about a uh, young boy who was born in the back of a, one of his father's taxis and uh, develops a bond with the car. He can actually speak to the car and the car can speak back to him. Uh, and and he, as he grows up, he develops this relationship with this car. They become very close friends and the car is uh, in an accident, saving the kid's life. Unfortunately, that accident uh, nearly kills the car and does kill the boy's mom and leads the boy to kind of reject cars for some time. Uh, as he grows up, he goes as far to abandon his father's uh, taxi business in favor of learning about uh, agriculture and agronomy and uh, sustainability uh, instead of learning about you know cars and driving. Uh, meanwhile, his father is facing a, uh, a situation where the Brazilian government is imposing a law that says you can't have a car on the street that is older than 15 years uh, because they want cars updated to uh, standards for the you know to, to help the environment. So the boy, while his dad is his dad has a heart attack basically because of this, uh, he turns to his uncle Z, who's this weird uncle, who's this weird genius, and has him turn this car into a new into a new car. Let's take this old car and upcycle it into a new car. And he actually tells him how to teach it to speak and to let it speak to other people, and it becomes this cult figure where it can speak to other cars and it draws those people with their cars into this cult, this sort of a King car cult. Uh, and it, naturally this all goes to the car's head and it becomes, it starts to turn evil. Uh, really weird, fun, exciting, strange, beautiful movie. I, I was blown away by this movie in many ways. It's bold. It's strange. Uh, it's unexpected. There's a character uh, who played by Jules Elting, who's this artist. And uh, <laughs> I was talking about her in my review, and I said, Susa, much like Maude Lebowski, her art, or their art is very, is, uh, is, uh, seen as very vaginal. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that for you to discover yourself. Uh, there's, a, there's some bold sexuality in the movie that uh, definitely will have some people talking, but it's really about, that's really what it comes down to is the obsession to the point of even sexualizing our, our fetishistic obsession with vehicles and cars and our, our desire to not, you know, let go of our car or change our car or change our, you know, change how we approach the car. You know, we want our cars to stay the same, but also, you know, be, perfect you know for, in our eyes forever uh and and that obsession with car culture is, is kind of fascinating and I, it's it's very much sent up in a very darkly comic way in this movie uh it's not for everybody not everybody's gonna like this a lot of people are gonna be really turned off by this but i was kind of i just again when i've sat through movies like the 355 and see for me which are these very mundane familiar plots I want the movie where somebody tries to fuck a car. I give me that one. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. I have questions, but I'm going to change the batteries. And I'll be, and I'll be right back. Hold on one second. 
Okay, we're back. Uh, okay. You had questions. Yeah, well, you ended it with, I want a smooth where they fuck a car. No, you didn't say that. <laughs> but after, uh, I'm screwing you up. People, rewind 30 seconds and listen to it again. Uh, but, <laughs> so what, what happens in this movie? Or is it just more you need to discover it for yourself? I think you need to see for yourself exactly what I'm talking about. I don't want to give away all of the fun of this movie. It's just a really, it's a very weird, very exciting, very strange movie that, you know, is again, not for everybody. Like, is this as weird and exciting as like Mandy or Night of the Virgin or? It's it's definitely in, the, in their vein. I don't think it quite goes it goes quite far enough in terms of being out as outlandish as it could be, but it definitely goes to places that are. Wow, <laughs> it goes places for sure. Yeah. It's also sometimes it's foreign. It's it's Brazilian, so it's a, you know some people some people have a hard time with sub subtitles. It's funny. I was I actually interviewed the uh, the the co writers and the director of this movie. And uh, they were talking about how science fiction isn't very big in Brazil. Like, it's not something that uh, audiences there go for. And this week and next week, I'm reviewing a Brazilian sci-fi movie. It's the most watched genre of the year so far for me. That's funny. Yeah, I almost watched it. I just didn't have a moment where I could sit down and, like, I had to watch it while doing something else. Everything I watched this week, I had something else going on. And because it's foreign and I had to pay more closer attention to it. I just didn't have the opportunity, but I definitely, this is on the list. I uh, do recommend it. It is, it is something that sticks with you after see, after you see it. That's for sure. But what I was forced to watch because that's the only thing left was Rucker. Uh, Rucker. Boring serial killer movie ever made. Right? <laughs> Am I, right? Absolutely. Like these actors, I'm sorry. These are two just not particularly interesting actors. Uh, the the story here is about a trucker who kills people in the back of his truck and buries them in the in uh, freshly dug graves at cemeteries. And uh, he's doing it. He's killing women who look like his ex-wife and he's being filmed for this documentary. And the documentarian is at first off screen, but she's eventually brought in front of the camera and uh, she becomes very interested in the killing and then part of the killing. And they have a secret together that gets revealed, which is played very strangely because were they sleeping together? Are they related? I don't know. The, the movie is too is too chaotic and uninteresting. The the violence I get I get that there's supposed to be like a horror comedy thing here happening with the violence being so mundane. Like he'll literally just reach over and slice a woman's neck and she'll just bleed everywhere and there's no you know reaction from anyone. And I guess that's supposed to be like uh, a sort of a, a comic take on the idea. Like it's just the like, killing is just so mundane to these people that they don't even have any reaction to so much blood and someone dying in front of them, but none of it lands. None of it's like darkly comic. It's some of it is kind of weird, but not in a very interesting way. Uh, and like I said, the lead performances are very bland. Yeah. It's none of it's terrifying. Like I, I, I guess the movie would try to compare it to would be like Henry Porter of a serial killer. Yeah. And it, it's not that at all. No, <laughs> uh, that movie is, you know, 
with stuff not happening, there's terrifying moments in that movie. Just kind of like, oh my god, these people exist. Here, it's just Michael Rucker. Like, yeah, Michael Rucker is so un- unpredictable and so and so terrifying in his unpredictability that every scene of Henry Portman and the Serial Killer feels like it's charged. And I didn't feel any of that charge in this movie. No, I mean, it made me want them to keep going back to the scenes where they had co-stars. <laughs> <laughs> You wanted, the, more Corey, you wanted more Corey Taylor? Well, he, he was like one of the best things in the movie, and he's not an actor, and that's sad. <laughs> uh, and, and it was like, why Why is he even here? Uh, yeah. But they would, on occasion, they'd go back to truck stops and run into other truckers, and those were the... They weren't even that interesting. Just everything else was so boring that I would have <laughs> rather watched those scenes for however long this movie is than... Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, th- I thought this movie was going to gain some kind of weird, outlandish, you know, excitement. That, uh, w- and then you know, there's a scene late where she's like showing a videotape of her documentary, and I thought, like, there's this woman who is on a bed, and I thought, is that is that him? Is he dressed up as a woman? Like, is he dressed up as this wife, Darlene? Like, that's kind of interesting. And then, no, that's not what's happening. It's it's just just her dying, <laughs> very uninterestingly. Yeah, I'm not. I couldn't even tell you what, the, like you said. <laughs> my assumption was they were related, uh, but even then, I couldn't tell you much more about. It. I couldn't tell you why he's doing it. I, I don't even. I mean, I remember how it ends, I guess. But even that was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's really nothing about it that. Like, the reason serial killers are so terrifying is because they're real people hiding within our everyday lives and. Uh, how does how do how do they get away with it? Why do they do it? What makes them act like that? How are they normal one day and then crazy another day? You know, there's so many questions, and this movie doesn't address any of them. No, and it doesn't. It, it's just a piece of shit. Uh, so yeah, that's Rucker. Our undisputed classic is Peter Bogdanovich. I said it right, I think. Uh, this movie, Paper Moon. Paper Moon stars Ryan O'Neill and his real-life daughter, Tatum O'Neill, the story of a uh, con artist who ends up uh, assigned to take this young girl who was uh, the daughter of a woman he may have slept with. He may even be this girl's father, maybe. Uh, he gets assigned to take her to another another home uh, in Missouri somewhere uh, and, and drop her off there. But, of course, uh, Things happen to things conspire to make that not happen, and they end up going on the road together and uh, pulling scams together. Early on, it's you know, he's got this really clever Bible scam where he goes to he looks up the obituaries of people who have recently passed and shows up at their house and says, "Oh, well, your late husband bought you this Bible, and it has your name in it." <laughs> uh, yeah, he really went all out and. Uh, she kind of ups that game a little bit in a very, in a very funny, funny way. And uh, along the way, they pick up a character played by uh, Madeline Kahn, who is uh, a, a, a sideshow performer, who uh, <laughs> kind of a con artist in her own right, who takes men for money and, and leaves them. And Tatum O'Neill develops a rivalry with her that she wants to get rid of her so she doesn't keep taking all of his money. Uh, and really what the, this movie is very good it's very good it's it's not like entirely memorable but it, it, it like not like one of the great all-time classics or anything but i like the title paper moon and it's about you know, the idea of something that looks real but isn't like this 
father and daughter who they look like father and daughter. They may or may not be father and daughter, but it's all it's all just what you it's it's telling you it's like a meta it's a perfect metaphor like it's a it's a fake it's a fake moon in a fake sky as the yellow fitzgerald song uh puts it but it but if you believe it enough it becomes real and for one of them at least it kind of becomes real and maybe for both of them it kind of does uh, i i loved their their chemistry obviously their father and daughter so that uh, certainly does make sense but she really is ahead of her time uh at at nine years old I mean, I would never have thought for sure. Like Anna Paquin, I wasn't entirely sold on the idea of her winning the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Not entirely, but I kind of bought this a little bit more. Yeah. I was just going to say maybe Anna Paquin, and I don't even know who won what, but this might be the best child performance I've ever seen with and throwing maybe Anna Paquin for the piano, but this is more of a lead role than that was. Yeah, uh, she's got a lot. She's on camera a lot. She's got a lot to do. Far and away yeah. the best thing about the movie. Uh, yeah. And that's unfair because she's a kid and there's, there's a little bit of a buy, you know, that makes it, one, the bars lower for her. Uh, and you just automatically like kids. And Ryan, Ryan O'Neill has to do a lot of the heavy lifting because of that. Uh, but I, I just thought she was fantastic in it. Or just like really, really good. Like this is better than Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> by yeah, a lot. I would, I would take this over that. Yeah, and maybe we're in the minority. I, I, again, this is somewhat forgettable, I guess, other than her performance. But it's definitely watchable. Uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, and uh, it yeah, was Bogdanovich. At the very least, he doesn't make movies that other people make. You know, no. like like uh, there's nothing typical. You know about this or or the last picture show. You know, uh, other than, I mean that movie has a love triangle, but it never feels like your typical love right. triangle. It feels so much more authentic than that. And this one is just a story that I think who would ever tell a story like this? And what's the what's going to be the point? And it and the point ends up being that that uh, even something that may not be real can feel real if you believe in it enough. And, and they're kind of suckers for each other in a way that's kind of that's kind of exciting. And I really, I didn't know if I was going to enjoy the movie as it was early early on, I wasn't connecting with it. And then as I kind of went along and I, but it, it took actually listening to the Ella Fitzgerald song after the movie and going, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that, that does fit. Like that, that is a complete story. And I do, I do buy into these characters even more than I thought I did. Yeah, and then just the idea of the kid who swindle, you know, who joins the swindler uh, without, you know, you're not ready for it and it just comes out of nowhere. That's been done since then. Maybe it's been done before, but I don't know. Every reference I have, granted, I was born after this movie came out, so I suppose I don't know where the first movie to do it was. But this definitely looks like a movie that's been stolen from from that aspect of it. Uh, which I think is very cool. I, again, watchable, very, very watchable. It's free on Amazon right now if you want to watch it. It's, it's, I'd say it's worth it. You're not gonna. It's not a big deal if you don't see it, but for Taylor Neal's performance alone, I'd recommend it. It's definitely yeah. For her, it's it, that is a piece of Hollywood history where a, a nine-year-old is delivering the be- the best performance of of the year she's performing. Well, yeah, and I mean, if you're into movies like Home Alone and whatnot, this is better like she's way better than that and i under, i'm not saying anything bad about home alone that movie works for what it is but this is definitely a better kid movie performance type thing so uh 
just really impressive uh yeah <laughs> i don't know what else to say <laughs> Uh, Peter Bogdanovich, of course, uh, passed away, 83 years old, I believe he was, a friend of, uh, a longtime friend of the, of uh, uh, Wells, Orson Wells, and uh, his protege in many ways, and learned a lot about direction from him, but never made a movie like Orson Wells made. He, he definitely always went his own way. And uh, just a fascinating, you know, a life. You know, when you've got when you look back at what he's done and the strange places he pops up. I, the only time I've ever written about Peter Bogdanovich was a movie called Los Angeles Overnight, where he plays just a random therapist character who just shows up for a couple of scenes and is really interesting and then gone. And uh, nobody's ever heard of that movie, but Peter Bogdanovich was in it. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, you know, then you've got that whole. Like the whole Star 80 thing, he was in, involved. He was in the middle of that whole Star 80 situation. And when you look back on how tragic that ended up being, uh, it changed his entire life, changed the trajectory of his career. He stopped working for a long time after that happened. And uh, really, and that, that moment changes Hollywood history in a strange way because we don't know what Peter Bogdanovich would have done during the 80s because he basically just kind of walked away for a while. So what is the the star 80 thing i'm vaguely familiar with it but since we have a little time we're practically done uh, <laughs> well there was a there was this uh playboy model who was a very young woman who came to hollywood became very famous very quickly she had this boyfriend uh in the movie it's played he's played by eric roberts it was the academy award nominated performance of eric eric roberts in star 80 and uh Peter Bogdanovich fell in love with her and and wanted to you know take her away and marry her and you know they were going to be together. Uh, they, I think he left his I think he left his wife for her. In fact, oh, wow. and uh, then she was murdered. I mean, just brutally, brutally murdered by this guy. Her 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 uh, boyfriend slash manager just brutally killed her and uh, snuffed out a li- snuffed out her life at a very young age and it just destroyed Bogdanovich. I didn't realize that was a. I mean, I've seen the movie. I just assumed maybe he directed it or something like that. But no, apparently <laughs> it was about him. Uh, all right, I learn something new every day. It's weird, right? Yeah, it's very. That's a. And then he pops up later on as as a regular on The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he was quite a life. Yeah. I mean, we both loved we both loved uh, the last picture show. Oh, when we talked about that. We're that so, was such a great, great thing. And there's kind of other a few of his other movies I would like to check out. Yeah, absolutely. Did did he direct the sequel or was that somebody else? I I don't remember now off the top of my head. I know we really wanted to see it, but then we just couldn't find it or was nowhere to be found anywhere. Uh, yeah, uh, the the Playboy Playmate, by the way, was a woman by the name of. Uh, uh, Dorothy Stratton. Uh, that was the the woman who was, uh, yeah, it was a she was Playboy Playmate of the Month, August nineteen seventy nine, and Playmate of the Year in nineteen eighty, and just not exactly the kind of person you would see, you know, with a guy like Peter Bogdanovich. But yeah, the so weird. Yeah, I didn't realize that was him. <laughs> uh, in nineteen ninety two. Uh, we have Cuffs, 
I've never seen that. Is it any good? You never seen Cuffs? I don't think Cuffs so. is a uh, Christian Slater, uh, his follow-up no. role to uh, to uh, uh, Pump of the Volume. Uh, he plays a uh, a teenager who becomes a cop, uh, and, and and this is actually something that could sort of happen in San Francisco at this time. I didn't know this. I read this in a review in the Washington Post uh, where they're talking about how they in San Francisco they had these things where they had a citizen police force in a way where districts were divided up and you could buy a district and be that district's police officer. So when this guy, Charlie Cuff's brother gets killed, he inherits his, his district and becomes like this teenage police officer. And he sets about trying to solve his brother's murder. That's funny. It's a terrible movie, but I loved Christian Slater. I, I was obsessed with Christian Slater back in the early 90s. He was my hero after Pump Up the Volume and this movie. He was just so cool that I think I watched Cuffs uh, like a dozen times when it was on cable after that. And, you know, I can look back on it now and see like it's a terrible movie. But at the time, it was like the epitome of cool. <laughs> you know, he does that cool Christian Slater thing where he turns and he talks to the camera. It's like, I'm friends with Christian Slater. <laughs> It's Christian Slater is like Mark Paul Gossler meets Jack Nicholson. <laughs> you got like that's a very wide range. It's a, it's a perfectly accurate. <laughs> Zach Morris, police officer. <laughs> Zach Morris, Zach McMurphy. <laughs> anyway, we just made a better movie. <laughs> We made a movie. <laughs> we should probably pitch that to Christian Slater now. <laughs> One for the cuckoo's nest, but a grown-up Zach Morris. <laughs> it was set, set today, but he got one of those big today. brick cell phones, and he's still dressed in his 90s gear. He can call time out. <laughs> <clears throat> So bad. This has got off the rails. All right. The other one, let's get us back on the rails. The, what practically should have been a TV movie, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Uh, huge hit at the time. Huge like, hit at the uh, time, but when you watch it, it's like a TV movie. I don't know. It's a, I, I, didn't, I haven't watched it in a long time, but uh, yeah, it, 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 but it, it, influ- it was influential. Like the movies that have been made since then. Seem to ape this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like a lot of them have this idea of this, you know, this who are you letting watch your children? Uh, you know, who is this temptress in your home? That kind of thing. And that's been played out in a number of movies since this. Not to say that this is what's a good movie that was influential, but it was influential. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen this one a million times. I don't know why, but uh, it was every like from 92 to 96, this movie was on tv every day somewhere like it was because it was a i mean i think nathan raven actually may have uh, dubbed this one of his forgot busters it was a big hit it was number one for a couple of weeks uh and it, then people just like it fell off the face of the earth sometime in the mid 90s <laughs> yeah, i mean people talked about it at the time but yeah it was one of those movies like it was one of those fatal attraction like what would you do right movies yeah, I mean, basic instinct people, and then, but this doesn't have the life that those two did. No, because uh, I mean, I, I love Rebecca De Mornay, but she's not nearly as memorable as Sharon Stone. Say what you will about Sharon Stone, she's fucking memorable. 
Right. <laughs> you don't forget her in Basic Instinct. She won't let you. No. <laughs> yeah. But Rebecca DeMornay doesn't have that kind of presence, unfortunately. And then there was one other movie, but I forgot to write it down. <laughs> Free Jack. Free How Jack. could you forget Free Jack? It's the one I watched this week. <laughs> Thank you for watching it, because so, I forgot about it. What is it? <laughs> Free, you don't remember Free Jack? Oh, man. Free Jack stars Emilio Estevez as a race car driver who is pulled out of his race car just as it's about to crash and explode into a million pieces. He is pulled 17 years into the future to because uh, a, a very rich man wants to take his consciousness and put it in christian slater's body and so they call these guys who they do this to free jacks so like rich guys can use this technology to like uh go back in time to these places where they know somebody who they are interested in purchasing is going to die and they rip them out of that space in the last second and into the future and then they inject their consciousness into that guy Unfortunately for them, Emilio Estevez proves a little bit tougher than others. He doesn't go to sleep. He doesn't. He wakes up in the middle of the process and escapes and goes out into the world and hides while uh, Mick Jagger goes looking for him as a bounty hunter. Uh, he ends up going back to his girlfriend, Renee Russo, who kind of tries to help him, but also doesn't believe it's him because she hasn't seen him in 17 years. And the last time she saw him, he was in a million pieces on the ground. So <laughs> she's kind of shocked to see him. Um, Anthony Hopkins is the big bad in this movie. It's it's bad, but there are a lot of people who really love this movie. Like there's a kind of a free Jack cult, if you will. I when the fifteenth, with the twentieth anniversary of this movie, twenty uh, fifth anniversary of this movie came out. People were writing things about how Free Jack was uh, a glimpse of the future somehow. I'm I'm not sure, but I, I don't see that in any way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was ahead of its time. How? How was this ahead of its time? You can't place your consciousness in somebody else's body. Yeah. <laughs> did it pre? Did it precede Avatar? What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> I mean, nobody remembers how you got into Avatar. I don't know why I brought up Avatar. Nobody remembers that. No. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. Even People remember. remember Free Jack better than they remember Avatar. I, I don't even really remember the cover of this movie. Vaguely, wow. vaguely remember seeing Emilio Estevez and Mick Jagger. I don't even know if I saw Renee Russo's name on it because uh, I don't know if she was as popular at that point. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. It does not ring a bell at all. And <laughs> I'm surprised you're shocked. I don't know what it is just, after you I, just described it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Mick Jagger is really fun in it. He's having a lot of fun. I'm sure. <laughs> but you, you, you want to really have fun watching Free Jack. Imagine the Mick Jagger as portrayed by John Mulaney in his stand-up special in this movie. <laughs> Just try to imagine him as an acting partner. It's got to be. That's got to be hilarious. That's got to be. I mean, yeah, I, I haven't seen that stand-up. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, that's okay. But, uh, you know, you are a rock god and now here you are going to another field how do you act you know do you are you he's, that he's arrogant been, i mean he's been pretty good in movies i don't know how he is behind the scenes but like the man from elysian fields is a an amazing movie that nobody's seen that he was great in he was great just last year in the burnt orange prophecy uh which again is another movie that nobody saw but he was really great in it when he chooses to be in a movie he he's really I mean, he's just so charismatic that uh, maybe it's just being Mick Jagger makes him good. I don't know, but he's just that level of charismatic. 
Yeah, and I, I've, I mean, even on Sunday Night Live, I always thought he was good. Excuse me, but uh, and I think he is probably more down to earth than you would think he'd be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not based he, on what I've heard. Not based on what I heard from John Mulaney stand up. He portrays him as just being completely out of touch. Well, I'm sure you're a little out of touch, but I mean, there's just the other day, Mick Jagger's in a small town bar. He just walked in and <laughs> nobody knew it was him. Uh, and he just kind of hung out there. Uh, so that on Instagram. So, wow. Uh, of course, just he had a mask completely, on. completely nothing aside, uh, just has apropos of nothing, but Betty White, you know, passed away recently. There was a wonderful story today uh, how this Wisconsin bar is paying tribute to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Wisconsin bar that she actually went to back in like the early 80s after attending her husband's funeral, she went to this local bar and had a beer. And they have this tradition at this bar where if you want to buy a beer for somebody, you just write their name on a little chalkboard. And the next time they come in, they've got a beer waiting for them. And you pay for it, of course. And the, you know, they, the beer is just waiting for them when they come in. And they set up a thing where you could buy Betty White a beer after that encounter in the early 80s. And she had like 40 beers waiting for her at this bar. And now they're going to continue that tradition. But now anytime anybody buys Betty White a beer, it goes to a local charity. Yeah, I think it's an animal uh, charity to her favorite uh, charity, if I remember reading it right. I don't know exactly what it is off the top of my head. But, yeah, that's very cool. She's inspired a lot of charity, which is pretty pretty great. Also, the resurgence of the name Betty. Yeah, that is true. And just flat-out hilarious in, in any era. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any type of comedy, uh, from as filthy as it gets or as clean, she can do it all. Uh, just fantastic. The only thing worth watching in Lake Placid is Betty White. <laughs> and and even even in the proposal, she's stealing scenes oh. from both Sandra Bullock and and Ryan Reynolds in that movie. Yeah, she Ben Affleck all over that movie. <laughs> <laughs> New T-shirt, just Ben Afflecking everywhere. <laughs> Jeff, figure out how to design that and get back to me. Sounds too much like fracking to me. Uh I don't know why it doesn't really sound like it at all, but that's what pops in my head. Uh, next week, there's a quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if it's any good. Uh, Scream, yeah. the new Scream comes out to theaters. The Legend of La Llorona, uh, Bell, the Pink Cloud, the Curse of La Patagola, Patasola. I can't read that. Patasola, I think it is. A Cops and Robbers story. Sex Appeal on Hulu, The Free Fall, and The Surprise Visit. And I, I will already have a review of Sex Appeal already on the on our Facebook page. And uh, I'll have reviews of The Pink Cloud, Free Fall, and uh, the the uh, the Legend of La Llorona. No, the Curse of La Llorona. No, La Llorona something La Llorona will be The Legend. The, the Curse, yeah, I think, one. of that was a couple years ago. <laughs> and then last year, there's just a movie called La Llorona. Right. <laughs> it's like every January there's a new the Yeah. Your Stop trying to make La Llorona happen. <laughs> uh is Sex Appeal any good? Any of those movies uh, any good? I just know that one's on Hulu and I have Hulu, so <laughs> I would say the one to watch is the Pink Cloud, but again it's a Brazilian sci fi movie, so nobody's gonna watch it. <laughs> All right. Our classic is the original Scream. 
1992, a movie called A Gnome Named Norm came out. That is a legendarily bad movie. Like every bad movie podcast has done a piece on a gnome named Norm. Does that mean I have to watch it? <laughs> it's entirely up to you. I'm just saying that every every bad movie podcast has done that movie. And then there's Juice. I remember that cover. I've never seen it though. Uh, but yeah, that is our show. If you want to be a Patreon supporter, head over to Patreon.com/slash/CriticsPod to help support the podcast. Don't forget to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Let us know you did it. We'll read your review on the air. And send the next person to do it will send a copy of a 4K Blu-ray of I Spit on Your Grave. Which uh, you don't have to watch. It's just more of a memorial of our episode than anything else. But it's a, I mean, <laughs> movie aside, and even the movie, I, I thought the conversation was good, but the rest of the movies in it are really bad. Uh, but the package is really cool. It's a, it's a yeah, well-put-together it package. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, if nothing else, it's like a seventy or eighty dollar value. <laughs> so, uh, but I guess it's only worth as much as you'll pay for it. So anyway, let's head over to Flickchart and knock some of that out before we go home. Or, you know what I mean? Dick Tracy, James and the Giant Peach. I couldn't care less. <laughs> Which one do you like? (laughs) I mean, my age group would have been more the Dick Tracy than James and Giant Peach, but they're both probably equally as bad, so I'm just going to go for my generation. Fair enough. The six-day State Fair. I've never seen State Fair. The six-day La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita. Absolutely. Extraordinary film. The Diary of a Teenage Girl. I've never seen Child Behind the Lens. The Diary of a Teenage Girl and her movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Diary of a Teenage Girl is a great movie, though. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis, Escape from New York. Inside Lewin Davis. People need to talk about that movie. My favorite movie of 2013, I think. Such a great movie. Absolutely. Rosemary's Baby, The Stranger. The Stranger. Yeah, I think so. Me, Myself, and Irene, Inside Job. Inside Job? Is that the... Is that a documentary? I can't remember which movie that is. Let's get rid of it. Me, my. I mean, saw that poster. I'm sure I should know what it is. I've never heard of whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> uh, me, myself, and Irene, the Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. Was Inside Lewin Davis the Coen Brothers? Yes. Yeah, that movie. And that was my introduction to uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Chris, one of my favorite Oscar actors Isaac. Right now, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, absolutely. And then Adam Driver, yeah. even that was my introduction to Adam Driver too. I know he'd been around, yeah. but I, I fucking love that movie. Uh, and Carrie Mulligan too. And, oh yeah. yeah, all of them. I, that's probably the first I've seen any of those people in, and those early on in our podcasting days too. So that was a lot of just a great movie. Return of the Living Dead, Rave to the Grave. Never heard <laughs> of it. No way you've seen that. <laughs> Splash, Iron Lady. Splash. <laughs> And the only reason I say there's no reason you've seen it, this was 2006. 
<laughs> Return of the Living Dead. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> the Amazing Panda Adventure is a movie I've never heard of. The Net with the Unabomber on it. That's weird. That's a weird poster for the net. But that's not the same net. That's not because that movie ah, came out in the nineties. You're right. Now I feel better. I'm, I haven't seen it <laughs> once. So just, the Hunger Games are cars. That's tough. That's tough. Wow. Um, man, that's tough. But I, I don't feel any loyalty to either one either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Hunger Games got better as it went along. So right. I'm going to pick Cars because Cars is better than the other two Cars movies. That is true. I'll go with you on that. Q&A, Bad Boys. Bad Boys. It's just more fun. Yeah. Q&A is not fun at all. <laughs> the Wiz, Arrival. Arrival. It's a Wonderful Life, Get Smart. It's a Wonderful Life, I guess. Probably. It's been so <laughs> I, don't, I have no love for it. I, it's a Wonderful Life. I know it's a, a classic. I just, it's never done anything for me. I haven't watched it in years, so maybe one of these Christmases we'll go back to it. Uh, when's the last time you've seen it? I mean, I see it every year. Oh, you watch I, it every that's time? Probably, that's probably why I'm tired of it. I mean, I see it around. I just don't watch it. I don't. I don't watch every year, but every year somebody does something on it that I'll watch. And I'm oh. like, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> and he is so good, Jimmy Stewart. He, everything else that it's like he's you'll so never, incredible, yeah. And everybody thinks that's his best movie, and it drives me nuts. Uh, well, you're crazy because you haven't you haven't seen his giant rabbit movie, <laughs> Philadelphia Story, Rope. Everything he's done is everything fantastic. he's ever done. Mr. Smith, like. Just done a lot of stuff that's way better than that. The Lego movie, Star Trek Insurrection. Lego movie. The Bridge on the River Kwai, The Fantastic Four, 1994. <laughs> it's The Bridge on the River Kwai, of course, but the 94 Fantastic Four is hilarious. Is that the same one or? That's the Corbin. 94 is the Corbin one. Really? The unreleased. Yeah. When's the Jessica Alba one? That like was 2001 wasn't it? oh was that no like, it, was the, it was early 2000s candy man be dazzled 21 candy man yeah uh candy man i guess yeah the zazzle is just such a nothing movie dark man the great gatsby 2013 it's great gatsby for me i think dicaprio is great in that movie yeah dark man's just kind of uh I didn't mind it. Uh, I like Sam Raimi, but it wasn't that great. Euro Trip, Joe versus Volcano. I love both of these movies. <laughs> they're both not like all time classics or anything, but they're like so, both of them are just so easy to watch. Um, it's Joe versus the Volcano for me, just for nostalgia. I don't really have an opinion, so I'll go with you. Kick Ass 2, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. The Kid Bicentennial Man. The Kid. Do you think he was that big of a dick on that movie? (laughs) Probably. Like, when did that start? (laughs) (laughs) Probably around the time that Kevin Smith worked with him, I'm thinking, was when people really figured it out. Well, that's when they started figuring it out, but when did he start doing it? That's what I want to know. Yeah. 
It's a good question. He, I mean, he, he was still acting as late as Looper. Like he was still well, but, you know, trying as late as Looper. Well, every now and then he pops in and tries, but for the most part, he, I mean, it's weird. Like he'll jump on an M night movie or a Robert Rodriguez movie and try, even if the movie sucks, he'll at least show up and do what he's told. Uh, even that Edward Norton movie showed up for a couple of days and listened to Edward Norton. <laughs> but 90% of the time is some bullshit straight to video f- movie that I don't know. I hate it. Yeah. Godzilla 98 Coraline. Coraline. Size does matter. Great tagline. Godzilla. <laughs> Volver Scream. Volver. Volver is a, is a brilliant movie. I've never seen it, but I will take your word for it. I like Scream, but I mean, Volver oh, yeah. is brilliant screams great uh lost in translation the outlaw josie wales lost in translation agreed completely and that was my point when we talked about outlaw josie wales if it was that good it should be like we should be deciding which one's better like if that was unforgiven that'd be a harder decision for me (laughs) streetcar named desire birth do you know what birth is uh, I know there's a scene where Nicole Kidman's in a bathtub with a kid or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Her reborn husband and the child of in the body of a child. Really fucking stupid movie. <laughs> really, really, really ridiculously like creepy concept and yeah, just terrible. But uh, yeah, it's streetcar, obviously. Deadpool Speed Racer. Deadpool, but I love Speed Racer. I do. I think Speed Racer is awesome. Yeah. Inside Out Waiting. Inside Out. Yeah. Waiting just doesn't age well. (laughs) No, and it wasn't good enough at the time (laughs) to stand out like an old school or whatever. Yeah. Uh, The Jerk Jumper. The Jerk. Strangers on a Train, The Red Shoes. Uh, Strangers on a Train, but The Red Shoes is pretty fantastic. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry Creed. Creed by a lot. Planes, trains, and automobiles, the right stuff. The right stuff. It's a long-ass movie, but okay. Ooh. (laughs) We're going out on this one. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry and the 1998 Godzilla. Uh, I'm going old school. I'm going to go uh, fishing with Gandhi.